Welcome to Are You Real, episode 58. Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now, get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, and I am super excited today. We are diving into Q&A specifically on purpose, but before we get started, I want to say happy anniversary to my wife. Uh, I don't normally do announcement like this, but I have to because my wife is amazing. I've been married to her for 18 years as of today. So I'm super excited about that. I would not be the person that I am today or uh, anything like that if it wasn't for my wife. She is amazing. She does great things. She pushes me, challenges me. And uh, besides all that, the fact that she's amazing and sweet, she's about 10 times out of my league because she is absolutely beautiful. So anyways, that always makes it fun. Roar Nation, you guys have sent me emails and Facebook messages over the last six months a lot on purpose. I've had people talk about their pain, not knowing how to process it. How do I discover purpose? Now that I've discovered it, what do I do with it? Uh, So today I have brought on Rusty Pang. We've talked with him in the past, but I'm just telling you, I don't want to puff his head up to explode it, but the guy is awesome at helping people discover purpose. So we are going to dive into his book and we're also going to dive into your questions and we are going to answer these head on to help you, Roar Nation, discover, find purpose and move forward. So Rusty, you excited and ready to go, brother? Yeah, man, let's do it. All right. So, Rusty, why don't we dive in a little bit. Um, For those who have not gone to back episodes, why don't you just talk a little bit about you real quick, what you do uh, as far as in the military and how you help people find purpose. We'll just do a recap real quick, and then we're going to dive right into uh, Roar Nation's questions and the questions you have. Sure, man. Um, First off, I'm happy to be here. Uh, Episode, I guess my second appearance on your show. It's an honor, man. And happy anniversary to you guys. That's Thank awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a milestone. It um, is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, who am I? I'm a military instructor right now. Uh, that's a job that I do. I, I teach students how to become mass communication specialists for the Navy. Uh, that teaches them how to write, how to speak, how to think, how to communicate. We do all the journalism, videos, uh, podcasts similar to this. Uh, we do graphics and design, and uh, basically it's all about telling uh, the Navy story. I teach them to dive really deep into the sailors and the American fleet and tell their stories. And so that ties really well with uh, what we do here about discovering purpose because it's all about being intentional and, and connecting to people on a real level. So that skill set definitely overlaps here. And then uh, before that, I had 26 jobs and seven businesses before I joined the Navy. Mostly that just means I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, and we can, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can get into that. Um, I'm still growing up. I, I think I'm a kid at heart uh, in a lot of ways. I, I love life and I love learning. So um, I'm never satisfied with uh, whatever I'm learning because I want to know what the next thing is. 
So that sent me on a journey to to experiment with a lot of stuff over the years, gain a lot of experience. Uh, anything from pastoring to uh, banking and finance to being a janitor. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. So happy to bring that experience to the table as we discuss for your audience, like, why are we here? What's so so valuable about knowing purpose? Okay. So one of the first questions that I want to dive into, this is not a question that anybody's asked, but I feel like we're going to set a foundation for it, but discovering who we are. So at some point, every person is asked that question in their life, like, who am I? What am I here for? What does that look like? How do we discover who we are? This is probably one of the most fundamental things that any person can can spend valuable time on. I believe that self-awareness is the key that unlocks uh, a lot of uh, focus and happiness and empowerment. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that we walk through life a, a lot of times, and I think you can, ex- can identify with this, John. It's very similar to a dense fog. We go through times where we cannot actually see what the next step is taking us to. And so that creates a lot of anxiety in life. And so how do we figure that out? Well, there are a lot of ways to do that. There are a lot of techniques and models. Uh, in the book that I wrote with Brian LaPrath last year that we talked about in the previous episode, it's a tool book. It's a blueprint on how to do that. And one of those ways, can I talk a little bit about the Entrepurpose Funnel and how, what the, the blueprint is? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So basically, uh, in my studies, uh, what I found over the years, uh, this is over more than a decade of research is that essentially the most successful people in life, whether they're in business or nonprofits, pastors, dynamic, charismatic leaders, they've had these three components, and they are opportunity, skills, and passion. Now, they didn't start out with all three, knowing all three, but throughout their life experience, they have discovered all three. They had discovered what they loved, what they were great at, and what opportunities were in front of them they took advantage of. And that led them to success. But what you'll often find uh, with people who have wild amounts of success is that they reach an upper limit where they don't feel fulfilled. And there's a fourth component that people don't realize is very powerful to converting that success into significance uh, and where your purpose lies. And that's in pain. And, and so the way that we find our purpose in life is through people, but in order to find out the people that you're meant to serve and, and meet and teach and, and greet is through our pain. Because when we... Okay, hold on, hold on, Rusty, let's do this. So in each one, for the sake of our listeners, let's give me an example of each one. So right now you're talking about pain, and I know you work with a lot of people. So give me an example of maybe a call or a coaching call that you've had, one on pain, and what that kind of looked like in their lives specifically, or yours. Okay, yeah, um, I'll, I'll do one uh, from a list from somebody that I coached through, and then I'll do my own personal one so people can see that I'm real about my own pain. So I had a friend who's, his name's Chad, and he loved helping people. He loved uh, partnering with them in various different ventures, but he'd always uh, get to this point where he was a, a catalyst, an assistant to get somebody to, to accomplish their next step. But then he would engage in that relationship for a lot longer than he actually wanted to. And what would happen is it would lead him into places that he never wanted to go. So he would help someone. They would accomplish that goal or whatnot. And then he would hang on to that 
relationship in the same way for the long term. And then he would go into turmoil, anxiety, frustration, and stress. And it was like clockwork every time, but he couldn't figure out why and he felt guilty. So that guilt is a form of pain, doing the things that we think we're expected to do, even though it's not the most appropriate or the right thing to do at that time. For example, we're in seasons of life, right? We have four seasons every year. Some of us see that more than others. I'm on the East Coast in Maryland. And for the first time in my life, I live in four seasons because I grew up in California. And, and so I see the leaves change. I see the, the snow hit the ground and it's we're in the middle of summer, so it's hot and humid, and you can probably hear the birds and the circadias singing right now. But each season has its own different tool sets and different things that you bring to the table to be successful in it. And if you take, let's say, a winter coat into the summer, you're going to be hot and miserable because it was never meant to be used in that season, right? So Chad, part of his purpose was meant to be a catalyst to partner with people during their what we call kairos moments. And that's a Greek word. That's, that's a life-changing moment uh, in someone's life. And he, would, he loved, he'd come alive, he'd thrive in that moment, that season. But then he would continue to partner with them outside of that season. And then it would sour. So he'd burn and himself so he didn't, out. Yeah, exactly. He'd have the burnout, the self-sabotage, the guilt. And all of that existed because he felt like he had to permanently partner with someone. And that's not the case at all times. Because his purpose didn't include partnering with somebody for the rest of their life. It was for that partnership in a specific season. Okay, let me ask you this, though. How do you recognize that? Because obviously all of us have done that to some point where we we jump into something, we enjoy it, and then we find ourselves in burnout. Do you have like a tool or something, like a recommendation where you can kind of notice that and say, hey, I need to back out of that situation. This is where I keep getting burned out. Yeah. The first thing to do is self-reflection. And this is there's no like one tool that makes it simple and easy. Discovering your purpose is a process that requires time and investment and it requires honesty. So sitting inside of why you are uncomfortable, why you are fearful, why you have that pain is vastly important to gain that self-reflection of what's causing that. So for Chad, and when I went through the discovery process with him, what I'm looking for and what your listeners can look for is patterns. So patterns are the key to understanding how our DNA is wired, because the reality is that we are going to be who we are for the rest of our lives. How that manifests and how that what that looks like uh, to the rest of the world might be different from season to season. But at the core of it, it's kind of like an apple seed. You know, you plant the apple seed, it will be an apple until it dies and it will produce other apple seeds. And during its very different seasons, it will produce fruit in one, it'll be growing in another, it'll be shedding its leaves in another season. So it may look from the outside in very different in every season, but it's always going to be an apple tree. And there's nothing we can do to change that. So you are who you are in every season. There are some things about your life that, don't, that just don't change. For example, for me, I have a drive for systems, analytical thinking. I'm very critical when it comes to processes. I can take mental leaps in pattern recognition, but I like to see a process. I call them timeless, transferable truths, meaning that there are things that are true for humanity that exist no matter what type of human or, or where you live uh, you are. And so uh, I like to hold on to those truths because they're consistent. Uh, for example, every person wants to be seen, loved, appreciated, 
and uh, acknowledge where they are at their core. That's true for every single human being. It doesn't matter what culture you're born into, what you're experiencing at that time. We all want to be seen and understood. And so that's a timeless, transferable truth. Now, for your listeners, when they're going through those hard times, the, the best thing that they can do is literally sit in that pain, pause, and reflect. Ask themselves the question, why does this bother me so much? And then once they get down to the root reason, and, the, and it doesn't have to be the, the core reason, it just has to be enough of emotional response, like they can ask a basic question, like what am I feeling right now? It might be anger, it might be disappointment, it might be frustration, whatever it is, it's important to put a name, a word, on that emotion. And if that emotion is existing because there's another emotion triggering it, get down to the next level. Figure out what that emotion is, and then ask yourself, when in my past have I felt the same way that I do now? And then think and reflect and go back to your past experience of what, and that may be 10 years ago, and then think about it, and then process what led you to that emotion. And see if there are parallels. Rusty, I want to ask you this because I feel so many people, I've seen this in my life growing up, uh, being around uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. So many times people go through very traumatic things in their lives and they don't want to deal with the pain because it's hard. Why is it? And, and, and because of that, they end up getting into drugs or alcohol and they never deal with it. Let's talk about real quick, why is it important? Why do people need to hear that they need to process this pain? Because a lot of times people just try to mask it or they don't deal with it or they don't talk about it or they cover it up with substance abuse. Why is it so important? Oh, dude, (laughs) you're hitting the nail on the head. Like I'm one of them. I'm absolutely one of them. I used to be an alcoholic and uh, we've talked about that previously. But uh, so let me just bring that up for me and then your listeners can relate. And so... In, in my life, um, I had an emotional script that was running, which was I was not good enough for the love of a woman. And so I, would, I acquired in my lifetime a lot of skills to be a good husband before I was even dating. So I learned to play guitar. I learned to sing. I learned to cook. I learned to dance. I learned to uh, be good with finances. And since I was involved in the church, I wanted to dive deep into theology so I could be a good leader of my home. I, want, I was studying. I remember being... 16 years old, asking my pastor in the church if I could attend the marriage conference that they were holding as a single guy. <laughs> Dude, I'm laughing just even thinking about that. That was like the last thing on my mind, man. Yeah, but you know, but see, I had this emotional script that was playing in my head yeah. of I need to learn these things before I get there because I need to be better before I get there so that I can earn that love. And I was willing to do all these unorthodox, like, uh, forward thinking things. And so at its core, like if you think about it, it's like, oh man, some of you are like, man, you were kind of a self-aware little guy that that was a good thing. It was on the surface. And a lot of things can be good things, but if they're not God things and good things, they're not good things. I'm glad you said that if it's not a God thing. Yeah. So um, (laughs) because of this, this emotional script that I did, that I had playing was, which, which was in my subconscious, by the way, I wasn't aware of it. It was affecting all of the decisions I was making. Uh, it was affecting and influencing how I walked through this life up until the point where I got to this place in my own marriage even 
where I could not make my wife happy and I couldn't figure it out. All the tools that I brought to the table, all the insight and self-awareness that I had, I couldn't fix another person. And I knew that logically, but I could not feel that emotionally because I was not aware of the emotional script that was running in my life that was driving those decisions. And so here's something that your listeners need to hear. We do not make rational decisions. What we do is we make emotional decisions and then we justify them logically afterwards. And the thing is, if you're not self-aware about your emotional decision-making process, then you are going to be locked into scripts for your entire life that are going to lead you to places that you don't understand how you got there. And it will lead you to a place of discontentment, unhappiness, lack of fulfillment. When you say script, you're talking about or patterns, right? We're just doing the same thing over and over. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So like, for example, here's a script that everybody will understand. There's a uh, a gentleman, I can't remember his name, but he came up with an acronym called Life Morts, a, a book called Why We Snap. It's all about understanding the neurological process that causes us to, to vault into a fight, flight, or a flee response. But a lot of times it manifests as anger. And so he says that anger is not necessarily bad in and it of itself. It's what we choose to do with it, which is very scriptural, right? I was just going to say, that's scripture, yeah, it says do, uh, it's okay to be angry. Just don't sin and don't let the sun go down and on your anger. It's funny how the world will catch up with timeless transferable truths in the Bible, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> so um, one of those uh, life mourns acronyms he talks about is uh, environment, and so uh, which is basically like space, threatening your bubble, right? So – have you ever been on the road and somebody cuts you off? You don't know who they are, but it instantly vaults you into this anger like, what the hell are you Like, and you get mad, right? And some of us say choice words in that moment. And then we have to repent afterwards, right? Right. Just so you know, Rusty, just because of that, I don't have a Christian bumper sticker on my truck because I accidentally – I sometimes I accidentally cut people off. And I'm being sincere. I really do accidentally. And, man, I get the finger and all kinds of stuff. And I thought, I don't want to let anybody know what church I go to. And I don't want them to know I'm a Christian because they're going to hate us all just because of me. Yeah, and it's because we want to anchor that emotion in some reality, right? And because they can't see your face and don't know who you are, they're going to attach to something. And if you give them that sticker that says, hey, this is my church or a cross, you know, they're going to take that anger and plant it on God, right? right? Instead of on you where it rightly belongs. But you don't even necessarily do that intentionally to piss somebody off, right? Yeah, I don't do it on purpose. It just it happens on accident. And then I realize what I did. Somebody's honking at me and I'm like, well, better make sure I don't have any uh, anything they can tie me to for sure on that one. Besides my license plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the other day I, I did that. I accidentally cut somebody off and they were really mad. They honked their horn. And I was telling my wife, I was like, man, I wish I had like telepathy so I could just send them a message and say, like, my bad. I was in the wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't need to do that. <laughs> but, you know, so you got to imagine, like, when somebody cuts you off on the freeway, half the time, a lot of times, they're just like us. They didn't intend to do that. They never meant to piss us off. They never meant to violate that bubble and, and threaten that safety. But environment. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. That was good. That was a really good thing you just said because, okay, back up just a little bit and keep your thought. A lot of times we take things so personal. So something happened. Somebody gave us a dirty look. Somebody maybe said something. Um, or, or something happened to us in the past, and we automatically take that as a something attacking us. It's very deep. It's very personal. Absolutely. So let me let me just segue into that. Here's something that your listeners need to understand too. We do not experience reality 
every day. What we experience is our perception of reality. So what that means is the way that we see the world, the way that we make our decisions, like and getting angry in the middle of that moment when somebody cuts us off, the reality may be something tragic. That guy is speeding across the freeway because he has to get to a hospital because maybe his son got in, 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 in some sort of baseball accident or injury and his life is being threatened. He's being on the operating table right now. And your lack of awareness of knowing that knowledge doesn't change the reality, but that is the reality. But our perception is this guy cut me off, and if he choose, he did it personally. He's out there to make my day horrible. He he exists to piss me off today, you know. And that's not true, but that's our that's our experience, right? That's our perception. So we live in that perception, and that's why perspective shift is so powerful when it comes to um, living your life, like. Choosing gratitude, for example, being able to be grateful in the middle of conflict and stress does so much for ourselves. It actually releases a hormone called DHEA, which is the counter hormone to cortisol, which is what we get our stress from, right? Stress does a lot of bad things in life if we live in stress on a daily basis, like increased heart disease, inflammation, cancer, unhappiness. A lot of that stuff happens because of long-term effects of cortisol. Isn't, that, isn't that interesting that we, we literally don't realize that like heart disease, high blood pressure, all those things, people don't realize that they're self-inflicted. And I'm not talking about just food and the way we eat, but because we just we choose to be angry or mad or resentful, and then we walk in that every day. Here's the thing. So people read the Bible sometimes and think, oh, well, God's just this God of uh, do's and don'ts. Well, the reason he's saying, hey, don't let the sun go down on your anger or you know, forgive your brother, those things, because it's not just even for them, but for us personally, because if we choose to keep walking in that, we're literally self-destructing our bodies with, from the inside out. And he knows that. Exactly. Let's be real. Anger feels good. Yeah, at the moment, yeah, when you're pissed, you want to break something and it feels good. It feels empowering. That's the allure of it. And in the short term, there are benefits. Let's just acknowledge it. There are benefits in the short term. When you get pissed off and angry, you feel in control and empowered. That's why it feels good. And that's why people do it. So let's at least acknowledge that reality, okay. that uh, it feels good in the moment. But the problem is, in the long term, it has these detrimental effects like our health and happiness. Not only that, we don't grow as human beings. And let's be real, people don't like you. <laughs> yeah. They don't like you when you're angry. So you're not going to have these deep relationships and good friends if you're an angry person. Not to mention scripture tells us not to be an angry person, right? So there's that. <laughs> or not to have angry friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, because it's contagious too. That's the other thing. So let's roll back to where this originally started, which was there are some things that are built into our brain that trigger that angry self-defensive response that are found in that book, Why We Snap. One of them is environment. And so when somebody threatens your environment, your brain kicks in the flight, fight, or freeze response, and you get angry. Understanding that is the first step to disarming it. And the way that you do that is pausing sitting in the anger and asking yourself, why am I angry? Well, that guy just cut me off. Okay, he cut you off. Got it. You're justified in your anger. Now, are you justified in continuing to be angry for the next 10 minutes as you whine, complain, and moan about what this guy did to you? Most people would well, say yes. And absolutely not. Because guess what? He's five miles down the road. 
And in one hour, two hours, one day, he's going to be completely out of your life. But if you choose that anger position, if you choose to continue to be angry, that person, you're giving up control in the moment for longer than was necessary and appropriate. And that's the problem. We start building emotional scripts that way where we, our behavior becomes consistent, right? So every time somebody cuts me off, I'm going to get angry. And that one minute response turns into two, five, 10, 20. And pretty soon it disrupts our entire day. I'm glad you're talking about people getting cut off. I'm not going to say who, but when they listen to my show, because they listen on a weekly basis, they're going to get a, a good laugh out of getting cut off or cutting people off and getting angry. So you know who you are out there when you hear this. This one was just for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's it's going to be a good inside joke. And the reason I use that one is because a lot of people can identify with it because it's common. Yeah. Now, you asked about alcoholism, drug addiction, and escape, right? Yes. Literally at that point, addiction at its core is an escape. And here's the thing that most people don't understand. That's the they flight, see a that's the flight mode, I'm assuming. You're yes. talking about the yes. book. Okay, so this is flight. Yes. So like anger a lot of times um, comes from the fight response. Freeze is when you see people in a crisis and they can't react. Um, the flight response, a lot of us who, uh, and I say us, who go to alcohol because I did it, um, is because the situation has been overwhelming. The cortisol levels in their blood have been continuous. There's no escape. So what alcohol does, what, what drugs do, even work, sex, any type of addiction at its core is a loss of connection with other human beings to help moderate that pain with you. And so because you feel alone, you develop a relationship with a substance that allows you to feel okay. Because really what people want in the middle of their pain is just to feel normal. And if they can't find someone to partner with, to work out those emotions, to talk it out that's in a safe place, they'll go to something that feels safe, which is a substance. And let's be honest here, the substance will give you what you want every time, as long as you take enough of it. That's, yeah, I was gonna say, that's the problem with it. It's, it's the lure of, there's never enough because you obviously build tolerance, so it just continually increases. Yes. Absolutely. My own escape was a combination of my work life. At the time, my marriage was in the rocks. My daughter, who almost died just a year prior at birth, she had an infant stroke in utero. And we're having to constantly deal with her stress of like, is she going to stay? She's our firstborn. And, and so like having children is a very powerful moment for her family. But like the fact that she almost literally died in front of me. I remember when they called Code Blue and I was in the room and they were like trying to get her to breathe and she was turning blue and gray and just the thought running through my head of, man, how am I going to go tell my wife that her firstborn daughter is dead? And so I got angry in that room, right? Because one of the acronyms or one of the letters in life more, is family. <laughs> and so like when your family's threatened, it sends you into anger. I almost lost it in that, in that area uh, at that time because I wanted, desperately wanted control. Now with that, uh, when I was under tremendous stress for those years, um, both at work and at home and in life, and I was feeling unfulfilled because I didn't know what my purpose was. I just wanted to turn my brain off and relax and become normal again. And as Taylor, we have that, uh, that stereotype, not all of us drink on that level, but let's, let's be real. Uh, a lot of us do. Um, and I did. And, uh, unfortunately, and so I escaped for years like drinking and, um, and it worked to a certain point. Right. But then I got fat. I was still unfulfilled. My problems didn't change. They were there, but I could take care of them temporarily, but I had to drink a whole lot to be able to, to satiate that. And like, I'm talking, I could down a 24 pack of beer and that's what it took. 
And that's like, that's just unhealthy. That's like uh, Homer Simpson. Except, except I wasn't running circles on a, on, a, <laughs> on a carpet sideways, right? I want to ask you this, Rusty. And we're going to be all over the place because my brain just, every time you talk, something triggers. And what triggered on this one was, is I was thinking about, I got an email a couple of weeks ago from a person who is, uh, and if I'm remembering right, they're like, they were an ambulance. They, they were really trying to find purpose in their life. They worked in the, as an EMT uh, ambulance and they fell into, they wrecked a vehicle on accident or something happened to actual ambulance as they were driving. And because of that, they got uh, really depressed, got into alcohol, can't find their purpose. And it, and now they're struggling. And I hear this actually a lot where people fall into a pit because they're so distressed about the fact that they're not fulfilling their purpose. How do you get out of that pit? Because so many people think, well, I'm just screwing up my whole life because I, I'm not fulfilling my purpose. Well, it's a process. Listeners. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a process. But how do you recommend to people that are maybe in that downward spiral where you were at because they're not fulfilling their purpose? And that's okay right now. This is again, guys, this is a process. But how do you what would you tell listeners or tell people that you're coaching to say, hey, this is how you can get out of that. Um, but it's okay not to be fulfilling your purpose right now. Yeah, what I'm going to say is that essentially when it comes to living your life and you don't know your purpose, the first step is is understanding that you have one. You can have that knowledge, but but here's the second step. You got to actually believe it. Here's the thing. For me, what kept me alive over the past 13 years uh, when I was – the first time when I was 19. So actually, I guess it's uh, now 15 years. Uh, what kept me alive for the majority of that first decade – that I didn't kill myself is because I believe that God had a purpose for my life. When I studied scripture, I was looking at all of the, um, the things that God was doing and I could see purpose littered throughout everything that he did. He never did anything without an intention. There wasn't, as we say, there's no oops in the kingdom, right? Yeah. And so everything, even the pain that you go through is stamped on his desk as I saw that I'm allowing that to happen. And we see that through Job. We see that through a lot of different um, patriarchs. And, and Real quick. I, hey, I want to hit this, Rusty. Okay, so God allows it to happen. We cannot always understand why. But I do want to be really specific to say God didn't do it to you. There's a big difference because I hear people when we've all I've been there and people will say, well, why did God do this? And, and he didn't do it to us. Maybe he allowed it. And we have free will and bad things happen, but he doesn't, I mean, he's not in this angry God at us trying to strike us down with a lightning bolt. Yeah, no, and, and I feel the same way in the sense that if you are a child of God and, and you are loved by God, which we are talking to an audience of people who claim Christianity as their faith, right? Yes. Our love, like understanding of it uh, for him is really falls short. We do not have any concept. In some part we do, but the depth of it. You can't run out of it. There, there's nothing that you can do in this life that's going to say, oh, I've reached the max of God's limit for my life, and now he hates me. And so it, it's not like that at all. But, but the thing is, there are real things, that consequences, like he allows stuff, bad stuff in our life to happen as training ground. Because this is the pregame. This isn't the real game. This is just practice. Our job, our responsibility, and this is where the free will comes into play, where we make choices. 
our choice is to grow. That's, that's what it needs to be. And so like all living things, the, the definition of its life, if it's broken down is, is basically like, are you growing? Because any living thing in this life uh, is always growing. There's nothing that's living that isn't growing. If it stays the same and doesn't change, it's dying, right? From the trees to the plants, even to human beings, any animal, it's always growing. And it's growing in its design. So here's the thing when it comes to processing the pain. Struggle is beautiful. And a lot of people, like when I tell people that, my students, in fact, one of my students says, but I'm not a masochist. And I'm like, I'm not asking you to be a masochist. I'm not asking you to seek the pain. But to, to go through life and, and, and literally ignore it, you are handicapping your growth through the entirety of your life. The struggle is where the growth happens. For example, if you want to be a more patient man or woman, the only way to grow your patience is to have it tested with impatience, to be pushed to the point to where your, your patience has reached its limit and you've converted from being patient to impatient. And being aware of that line is allows you to go, oh, that's where I stopped off. Okay. I, and, and the only way to grow your patience is to experience something that exceeds your patient level so that you can have the opportunity to meet that challenge and practice the skills that are needed at that level of that problem of that pain. So here's how life really works. You experience what you experience, and it's difficult as a child, right? Learning to walk, learning to eat, learning to talk. But at some point you grow, and you grow beyond that, that struggle. But then you become a toddler, a young child, and then you level up your problems. So now your problems become advanced communication, having fun, going to school, pleasing your parents or doing the right things, learning what it is to be eventually become an adult. And then you become an adult and you up your, your you level up your problems to adulthood, which is bills, which is career, which is all these other things, right? So the natural evolution or the process of uh, growing is leveling up your problems. So there's never a time in your life that we're not going to have problems. The question is, are you going to choose to meet them head on and grow or not? And you have that power of choice. But the problems that lead us to addiction and to depression are when we feel overwhelmed and alone. The problem of addiction is, is less an issue with the substance and more an issue of connection to other human beings. Because we can do incredible things when we're in community. When we have a brother or sister standing by our side going through it with us, we can accomplish a lot more. That's really good. I mean, really, you know, listening to you, really what it comes down to is self-infliction, uh, not, not self-infliction, self-reflection. I better get my words right. Because a lot of times, and I was just thinking about that even myself, there's some things that, you know, I'm going through in my life right now, is a lot of times, especially for myself, we don't take time to sit down to process what we're going through. And it's so important to just sit and just reflect on, especially journaling. I always do better uh, when I journal is reflecting on our day, what's going on in our lives, and getting those thoughts and those emotions out, whether it's talking or on paper or whatever, because we're not processing what what we're going through sometimes. I think a lot of people do that. I know I do. Yes, and, and in fact, our society pushes us away from it, right? You've got thousands of ads that are trying to grab and buy for your attention every day. You've got deadlines to meet and projects to build and uh, assignments to do if you're a student or bills to pay. Uh, you've got kids that are demanding your attention. There are sports. You've got to cook dinner and you've got to get enough sleep so you can do it all over again. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And the thing is, we 
equivocate, we conflate, which means basically we mix up productivity with busyness. And the problem is that they are not the same. And a lot of that comes from, if you sit in it, a lot of it comes from, I'm not good enough. So if I don't do this extra thing, which is going to lead me to a burnout, it may be motivated by, by an internal intrinsic motivation of, I'm not good enough for myself, or maybe I'm worried about how people think of me because I'm not good enough. But at the end of the day, it's, I'm not good enough. But the reality is, when you're covered by the blood, and this is a truth that I had to learn that really unlocks me from burning out all the time, is that I am loved. I am good enough. I wasn't before I became saved as a Christian um, because I was a sinner and I needed Christ. But once I became saved and entered into that relationship with him, he covered everything. And he loves me. I'm good enough. And so, and, and not because of my own design, but because he's good enough and he imbues that goodness to me. I am good enough. And so being free from that changes a lot of things. Like I can now say no to things that are good things, but they become distraction, right? So if, if it's not going to help me further my purpose and bring glory to God and, and serve others, don't need to do it. And they don't guilt anymore. Amen. Okay. So one of the questions I want to ask is this. This one was from Michael McGeevy. Uh, the guy is a, a coach. He does some great things as far as being a father, uh, husband, stuff like that. He does some private coaching. He's a great guy. I'm going to have him on the show later down the road. But he asked, he says, how much of your personality slash identity are you born with? And how much is developed throughout your life? Mm. So let me just put it like this. Uh, first off, before we start, I have to throw out the disclaimers. Um, I am in no way the standard from which you should compare all my uh, all the information to. Um, so definitely do your own research. But I have been spending uh, more than a decade researching this idea. Um, so I'm going to tell you what I know. And then you take that information and see what resonates, what works, toss what you don't like, and go do your research. So with that said, here's what I'll say. Most people want to reduce the personality down to one element, um, one model. It could be Myers-Briggs DISC. It could be the Enneagram. It could be the five love languages. It could be a, a whole host of different tools out there, but they'd like to just have one and like everything boils down to this one. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is that human beings are more complex than we like to give them credit to, but that doesn't mean that they're not knowable. By inference, what I'm saying is doesn't mean that you're not knowable. It doesn't mean that you can't explore and find this information. So here's what I say. Human beings are like a six-sided die. And to each of those models, those tools that are like one of those faces of that die. And so to say that it, a dice is a number one and that's it is inappropriate, improper, and certainly not accurate, right? But it's a part of the whole. So, um, so the tools that I use as far as personality are uh, mostly Myers-Briggs because of Carl Jung's work on cognitive functions. DISC is helpful, Enneagram, uh, Strength Finders, and uh, some people use Kobe, which I like. All of those are tools and models, faces to that die, but they're only like a small component. Some other things are uh, birth order, uh, some of them are crisis, community. Some of the, uh, in the first five years of your life are very formative. Um, a lot of information, let me condense it down to this. I could not tell you what's based in actual genetics. The science isn't there yet, um, but I will say there are some things that are hardwired and some things that are built over time. And, and so what's important to figure out is, like, for example, gender. It's a hot topic right now to say, like, oh, your gender is fluid. And then they conflate, like, terms. But the reality is it doesn't matter. If you go through the hormone therapy to change from male to female or female to male, your genetic profile still shows male or female. 
down to even the science is showing that each individual cell, how it manifests, uh, is different based upon that gender. So it doesn't matter what you layer on top of that genetics, your, your genetics are always going to be the same. So part of that is your personality that shows up, right? But part of it is your experience. So, um, for example, I believe that your cognitive functions, Carl Jung's work, the Myers-Briggs, gives you an indication into how your brain is wired to process information make decisions. To me, and what I've seen in my life and the studies I've done, that's hardwired. What is not hardwired is more of what we call soft personality, and that's the big five, like temperance and patience and whatnot. Um, those are things you can develop over time. And so don't get bogged down in this idea that it's either locked in or it's not. It's actually a combination of both. The important thing is to figure out what hasn't changed, find the patterns that remain consistent throughout your life, and accept those are things that I cannot change. And then look at all the things that you can develop over time and have changed over time and accept those things as, as malleable. I hope that answers that. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Okay. Roar Nation, I apologize. We are already about 45 minutes into this. And what we're going to do, Rusty, are you cool with coming back for next week? And we'll do, we'll answer these uh, rest of these questions. Oh, yeah, man. I'm here for you, baby. All right, man. Let's do it. Roar Nation, thank you guys so much for tuning in and joining in. Please go to the website. You can uh, download any of the information, some of the things that uh, Rusty talked about. His book, Entrepurpose, we can uh, Meyer Briggs stuff, things like that. We'll have links. Check out at areyoureal.org. And then absolutely tune in for next week. We are going to dive right into questions and have about another 30 to 45 minute episode on answering these questions and what that looks like for your life. So again, thank you guys so much, Roar Nation. We love you. And remember, be real, be authentic, and be you. God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.